Welcome back to the second season second season of Dumb Dive. I can't and believe Netflix actually decided to give us another chance. Yeah, can you believe it? <laughs> Please sponsor yeah. us. Um, <laughs> yeah, sponsors hit us up. Uh, but yeah, so we took a small break, you know, festival season in India, plus we both had our own things to kind of attend to. I've recently started college at uh, University of Birmingham, so settling in has been kind of just taking my time. But it's all it's all kind of good now. It's all kind of done now. I have my routine in place. That's great. So, yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, might as well talk a little about what I'm studying here anyway. So... we're going to take a bit of a look at theology and philosophy of mind and just like talk about it you know i already feel like this one's going to be a good one <laughs> let's hope man um anyway so i i just wanted to start this episode out by asking how mu- what do you know about descartes uh i just know that the name isn't pronounced the way it's written in english uh yeah. but <laughs> uh like honestly mo- beyond that i've just heard the name when people are like oh i'm into philosophy like name three of his songs uh, <laughs> <laughs> like no but like genuinely i don't know much about takats philosophy i just know that one of those thinkers okay um so just to give a kind of overview um rene descartes was like this a descartes however um he was a french philosopher and math- mathematician and um So so he came up with the oh god uh yeah he came up with the entire um i think therefore i am cogito ergo sum oh um, that was him yeah that was him so the fundamental force of his um his entire meditations kind of thing was that um you can't trust your senses cuz they could be deceived by you know some kind of devil or you know they could be deceived basically you can't really trust the external world either because it could all be an illusion and the only thing we are completely certain about is the fact that we exist and okay. we know that we exist because we can think that we exist so so just the 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 mental process of thinking that we exist is enough to say that we exist okay. i think therefore i am okay so that's like and the So so then from that the kind of force of his argument was since you know since there's the fact that the physical can be deceived you know our senses can be deceived the external world can be an illusion so on so forth mm-hmm. they have to be separate substances like the mental and the physical have to be two separate substances and this became mind body dualism in a cartesian sense okay so when when you say cartesian you mean like think like based on the ideology of Descartes. Yes, exactly. Based on his um yeah. Based on his argumentation and so on and so forth. Now, Cartesian philosophy or Cartesian philosophy of mind, um substance dualism and um these various schools are kind of outmoded or outdated I'd say because um they're kind of really hard to hold um anymore. uh just because there's there's a lot of problems with um the idea of substance dualism you know saying that the mind and body are two separate f- substances altogether so substance is basically just philosophical jargon speak for like they are two wholly different materials like ontologically 
so uh like like the different entities or like uh, different entities th- all together yeah so the physical is you know whatever it's carbon and um you know whatever f- whatever makes up our body mm-hmm. and the mental is like this ectoplasmic goop that's like a whole different kind of thing which isn't physical at all it's in a different kind of realm okay but so so the problem the the very obvious problem is how does something that's not physical cause things in the physical you know like um how do they do interact yeah exactly the interaction problem the causal problem as it's called so that's like the big um stumbling point for a lot of substance dualists mm-hmm. so you know it, it's become a bit like tough to hold substance dualism in the cartesian way but you know he was incredibly influential in like bringing up the study of philosophy of mind mm-hmm. right and i think the reason we still you know kind of read descartes in a lot of our philosophy courses and the reason people know the saying i think therefore i am is there something really intuitive about you know the mind and the body are different mm-hmm. it's it's just um it's this thing that there has to be something more to us than just the physical otherwise it doesn't seem like we would be able to think the way we do you know like there there's that very intuitive force behind his argument um, right 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 like just understanding like that the way we think isn't like although like you could use like science and say it's just a bunch of electrical impulses the fact that it's organized into like this ability for us to do mm. a lot of the tasks that we do kind of like a, 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 a lot of people do believe that uh it must be something beyond just like that's not yeah just physically explainable i guess and and even when we explain a lot of our um even when we explain a lot of our thoughts and so on in the terms of um, neuronal impulses and you know brain structure and you know all those things even when we use neuroscience to help us it deals with what are called the easy problems of consciousness which is you know it's just the the basic structure of the mind how does memory work how does learning work how does this work how does that work so those are the easy problems because once we know brain structures we kind of can figure out how things work Hmm. um but the hard problem as um, as a philosopher david chalmers calls it the hard problem of consciousness is understanding what it is why there's this thing so so why is there something it is like for me to be speaking on the podcast you know like i am experiencing um this entire thing in a certain way that literally no one else can right So so there's that first person kind of experience and we don't know how that arises you know it hmm. it ties into the entire i think therefore i am um argument because when you say i think therefore i am you are building in this first person experience you think therefore you know you exist you cannot be sure about anyone else in the world but you know you exist because of that first person experience and the the act of thinking in first person right right so because like to know that someone else exists like since you can't entirely trust your uh, ability to sort of perceive them because mm. that may be your your body playing tricks on you or whatever yeah yeah you can't ever really be sure if they are real or not 
yeah and it's also it's also tied into this other thing this other problem in philosophy called the the trouble with other minds or the problem with other minds mm-hmm. the the basic thing is you can never be sure that other minds really exist because the only way we the only way we can infer that other minds exist is through behavior and through language but language can be manipulated behavior can be faked people could be philosophical zombies in that they don't have consciousness they just are able to mimic human states perfectly mm. and in that in that sense you know it's it's just how do you know other people other minds exist and it's a bit obscure in in like the entire conception of the problem but you know again it hits to this fundamental kind of thing of the physical and the mental kind of have to be separate um, yeah and actually what you just said like i feel like that ties into things like the turing test and stuff like that when you're mm. trying to test if uh, an entity is a computer or a person yeah uh, yeah and i feel like like uh, although that is trying to do something different but it's just like that ability like that the fact that ai stuff right now chatbots and gpt type uh, language uh, models have become so good that they are indistinguishable to a large part like also makes this question uh like at what point would a system entirely be indistinguishable from a person yeah yeah <laughs> and it's, it's the, what does that actually mean like it's the stuff of like sci-fi horror movies you know like yeah yeah but like yeah what does that mean about us like mm. is, is it that special to have consciousness and stuff like that yeah what does what does consciousness really mean yeah so i'm not here to answer any of those questions <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no i mean i'm here to like just kind of give a good overview of um maybe the origin of these questions or what mm-hmm. i think is an origin of these questions and um you know then i'll talk about some of the big schools and uh, get into some of the nitty gritties about them yeah um but first like the origin so like i said descartes he's kind of like the i'd say the founding father of like um the the more modern take on philosophy of mind mm-hmm. but philosophy of mind has been going on for ages it's just that it was very often clubbed in with theology Okay. Because um you know it's just it I think it's it, it it harkens back to this kind of fundamental human thing of once we have bonds with people and you know once once family units kind of came into play and you know we had bonds of love and trust and all of that when someone died we just kind of didn't want to let go and accept that it's entirely physical we were like okay no their spirit lives on um their ancestors kind of, or, or our ancestors just kind of watch over us by taking mm-hmm. the form of a crow and it, it harkens back to this very human thing of like we cannot let go of bonds that easily mm-hmm. you know things like love and things like affection and trust they're just metaphysically so potent that they kind of force us into aligning our beliefs to something that has the mental and physical or the mental and, or the physical and spiritual to put it in those terms it it kind of keeps them separate therefore the spiritual lives on even after the mental or, or, or even after the physical kind of erodes so okay. that so so that's why like i think philosophy of mind very often was done through theology 
um mm-hmm. and i mean there's there's i think there's some ways to support this claim it's not like a very controversial claim that i'm making i feel <laughs> um, yeah i think uh, from my understanding or like whatever little exposure i have to theology a lot of uh, general philosophy and you could even say science was done under that umbrella yeah of yeah. just understanding people understanding nature understanding how a lot of things that uh, interact around us work Mm. Uh, I feel like Very a lot of those things happened in there so it's sort of natural that this that that's the same place uh in the understanding of religion and existence that people would think about their minds as well yeah yeah i mean yeah it's just i, I mean theology is about the study of um god basically and okay yeah well i mean again reductive reading theology is the study of god and religion and so on and so forth all of those things club together right Mm-hmm. um and you know it is a natural jumping off point for asking these kinds of questions because you know why has god created us to think is probably a, a good starting point to then investigate why we think mm-hmm. i mean if you were you know bent to believe towards that end yeah but so so that's kind of like what i think is the origin you know we have um Egyptian we have like the ancient Egyptian tales of how once you die your soul gets judged by you know gets judged by someone and then it has to take the boat through the duat and um, land up at the hall of the dead or your heart or your soul gets devoured by the judge you know by like i forget the name What of the entity that reference uh, um it's it's basically um ancient Egyptian mythology okay so it's their theology basically Um so when you die your soul basically leaves your body all your organs are kind of put into these um alabaster um casks okay right? and that's so like they travel with you um to the afterlife so you're buried with them in a sarcophagus and basically the be- the belief was you travel to the afterlife with all your organs and your heart gets weighed on a scale uh-huh. to judge whether you're good or bad so if you're good the scale is uh, the, there's a feather of truth basically so the feather will be heavier than your heart mm-hmm. which is which is fine that means oh you've been a good person you have done mostly good your entire life you mm-hmm. can go on ahead to the hall of the dead and it's you know a party yeah um but if you have been found to be a bad person you know whatever normative rules they had for good or bad if you were found to be a bad person your heart would be devoured by this 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 creature that kind of oversaw the judgment okay um i forget the name of it but yeah so so basically that thing would just eat your heart and therefore you would descend to hell so okay. again like this is this is more like just you know there has to be something more to life there has to be something more to the afterlife you know like mm-hmm. death cannot be the end of it is what a lot of people would traditionally feel through theology because there has to be something more to human existence it's just this constant um, thing i think is, this is it uh, right like uh, a bit of a tangent but like after like in in, in human history like after people started uh, creating like gods for the different elements and mm-hmm. natural uh, events uh, i feel like like this concept of like a god or like a like a bottom man border entity between life and death uh is was like the next significant step in terms of like 
religions because I feel like that's like a concept that's there pretty much in every religion that I've heard of. Well, yeah, it's it's there in every mythos, right? Like you have, um, well, I I think in India you have, uh, I don't know the boat, I don't know like the the. We have like, like like Yama, right? Yeah, Yama Yama visits you know the heavenly realm and our realm and just kind of like ferries people from here to there. He is the god yeah. of death that way. Um, and in Greek and Roman mythology, you have um, Charon, mm-hmm. the the boatman. So he is basically the border keeper, right? Like he ferries souls across sticks, um, yeah. from you know the entrance to the land of the dead to land of the dead proper. Um, and then you have um, Kerberos, um, Cerberus, whatever, however you pronounce it. You have the three-headed dog who kind of guards um, Elysium. Mm-hmm. And basically prevents those who have not done enough good. He prevents them from getting in. So he's also another kind of border keeper. Yeah. So yeah, like you have, you have, um, I think, yeah. I'm not too sure why, you know, there's this concept of the border entity exists. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're <laughs> it's a bit of a tangent, but it's still an interesting one, I think. It's just a fascinating thing that I've like, like, it's not just that when you die you you automatically go to another world which itself is like a, a fascinating thing that humans are sort of converged on yeah. but the fact that there is an entity that decides where you go next yeah and an entity that kind of safeguards it right yeah i mean it's it's also that their job isn't just um you know to decide where you go it's also to safeguard you while you're on that journey yeah. and to protect yeah. the border itself from being like well I won't say invaded, but more like being overwhelmed, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think the border entry is interesting. I think in some way it's just to kind of mirror the way our own society works. Mm-hmm. In that we, even even in primitive days, we had people who kind of just looked after the, the edges of the kingdom and just kind of made sure invasions didn't happen, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And in some way it's just, okay, if 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 um and again if uh these realms are kind of mirrors or they are um supervening on our human societies mm-hmm. then that means they should be working in similar ways so that's why we have like a king of the gods and then we have you know each god takes over a certain element and has like certain duties under their name it's very much like a king and his parliament mm-hmm. who then preside over the kingdom itself the kingdom proper which is the entire earth yeah 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 i guess it's a mirror of like 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 ordinary human society just like taking like one step like above where human society itself is yeah yeah the the subject instead of the end of like you know Yeah, yeah yeah you're right i mean yeah it's 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 definitely really interesting um but yeah, my my, I think our entire point for this was just to figure out, you know, where where did the question of asking about consciousness start? Yeah, and it's I think it starts in theology. But there's been like tons of great work done in you know this 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 kind of cross between theology and philosophy proper, mm-hmm. like, so so now to just get to the meat of the discussion, I guess, um, I'd say traditionally there are like there there are two really big schools and then they break down further mm-hmm. so there's a monist school and a dualist school 
So a monist school basically says, okay, mind and body are just one substance. That's it. Mm-hmm. Or, <clears throat> you know, uh, or or the physical and the mental basically have one substance that gives rise to consciousness. Whereas dualism holds that the physical and the mental are two different substances where the mental is what instantiates consciousness and the physical just gives it a body. Mm. Does, does, is that clear? Sort of, yeah. So like uh, in the monist approach, they still consider it as two components, but of the same um, sort of like plane. No, no, no. They're not two components. It's just that there it's is literally only just one. Yeah, there is only one. So okay. monist just means mono, right? Single. Right. Um, so the Mona school gets split up into two more broad or, or two more narrow kind of schools of thought, which is the materialist school and the panpsychist school. So okay. now, I, I mean, I'll just kind of run through the three at the same time because dualism kind of is at the same level as these these two other schools. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as broad as the term monist. I just, I just like classing it that way because it's a bit more... Um, bit more nerdy, bit more anarchy to do it that way, <laughs> which is fun. But um, basically, uh, materialism holds that consciousness is nothing over and above our mental processes, our brain processes. You know, everything that is to be answered about consciousness can be answered if we study our brain well enough. Okay. That's it. Um, and again, under under materialism there are different kinds of ways of instantiating this and i'm i mean we'll probably touch upon them um but yeah so that's a o- that's like an overview of what the materials the materialist school says so that's like trying to uh, understand the brain itself like what like you know like the me- like the things that we discussed earlier like how we remember things how we yeah, learn yeah. and how all of those things combine to create what we think of as consciousness and thinking. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing over and above to consciousness than those processes. That's all. Okay. Like, that's all they say. Um, so then after that comes panpsychism under the monist kind of umbrella. And panpsychism basically holds that there are two... Fu- I mean, this is one reading of it. There are other readings as well. But one reading of um, the panpsychist theory is that just like matter is a fundamental building block of everything, there is a minimal form of consciousness that is also a fundamental building block of everything. So basically everything is conscious and consciousness isn't like an emergent property or anything like that. It just is a fundamental property of everything in the universe. Okay. That's not to say like the roads can think or whatever, but there is like a minimal definition of consciousness um, that gets applied to like even the micro, like the subatomic um, kind of scale. And that is what it slowly builds up. It slowly gets more complex. And thus at our level, it gives rise to consciousness. So is it like their understanding of consciousness is what gives a fi- like, like, like an object or uh, a living being it's like properties and what sort of stuff it does? instead of like it's just like a fundamental property of like how it is yeah yeah it's a fun- it so so on their view right like everything has this minimal consciousness it's just that as beings get more complex as 
their their brains get more complex and so on and so forth they are they kind of just consciousness just builds upon itself until the point where it reaches full blown consciousness proper ala humans and you know dolphins etc if you want to make those claims so like the consciousness of like say an electron would would determine like where it de- where it decides to be in a part of an atom or something like oh that. um i don't think they make that claim i don't think that um they would say <laughs> electrons themselves can think or like decide on things it's okay. just that it's just like like matter is a fundamental building block consciousness, right. consciousness alongside is. it yeah okay okay so but Okay. So just as matter gets more complex and thus is able to take on more form and function and so on, mm-hmm. consciousness at this minimal subatomic level will mm-hmm. probably not have any features beyond like spin and a couple of other things. Right. Like 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 what we learned about electrons in like 11th or 12th grade, right? Yeah. They don't have too many features beyond like they have this weight and they have like these particular things that just decide how they work right so right, it's right. it's all predetermined for them right like when they get into a state um something like that i again mm-hmm. my 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 science is absolutely <laughs> horrid right now yeah probably not not the best example to pick yeah, yeah. but yeah but yeah. but, but so the, the 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 idea is that non living beings also do possess a certain i like like super minimal consciousness basically okay sure so again so so the 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 problem here the, or not the problem but the difference here is that the way panpsychists use consciousness is not the same way that a lot of others would use consciousness mm-hmm. because they use consciousness as this kind of term for a fundamental building block alongside matter that is the mental and the physical combined kind of thing right so they want so they claim that everything is conscious therefore there is nothing really to explain beyond that you know our consciousness is just you know it's it's like a more sophisticated version of what everything else in the world has mm-hmm. um so so that's how their conception is you know fundamentally different from like a physicalist or a dualist kind of look at what consciousness is because it's like the definition itself is significantly different so yeah, it's hard yeah. to compare it directly yeah exactly um but yeah so again panpsychism is i i'd say it's kind of becoming more popular now to talk about it because okay. um i think pre burton russell so yeah. so another name i vaguely heard of so he again he was a mathematician and philosopher A lot of philosophers tend to be mathematicians for some reason. Um <laughs> but um yeah so Bertrand Russell kind of brought back panpsychism through his school of panpsychism which was Russellian monism. Um okay. but pre pre Russell panpsychism was kind of just considered to be the school of like people who didn't want to really do philosophy and mm-hmm. who were just kind of loonies in a sense. you know like they weren't able to engage critically with actual ideas so on so forth so they just chose panpsychism it was kind of not looked at as, as a serious school of thought um but now it's gaining traction because um i think the way burton russell kind of and again i i haven't read his papers properly yet so i can't like fully explain his argument so i'll i'll just have to say that from the history of the school that i've read 
Bertrand Russell is who, who, what kind of just brought it back into the mainstream and gave it like yeah. serious philosophical consideration. And so it like, must okay. have been like like mid to early 1900s, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Recent in the bigger picture of things, but not like recent, recent. Not like brand new, but like yeah. still recent. You know, right. I think, yeah. So, so that's panpsychism, and then we come to what is probably well, there's dualism basically. Which is, I think, most people's kind of intuitive version of what the self slash consciousness is. Um, and like I said, it start. It, it, I mean, it started with theology. You know, like all our mythologies have this kind of dualist look at the at at us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it gained its more philosophical kind of, or more modern philosophical, uh, powers, from Descartes. Uh, with his, you know, I think, therefore I am, and all of that spiel. So, so modern dualists, um, modern dualists are a tough bunch because they hold that yeah, the the mental has to be something more and up, you know, it has to be something beyond just physical. They have to hold that, but holding substance dualism becomes really difficult because of you know the causal problem that we spoke about earlier. You know, how can something that's not physical um cause you know the physical body to move like when i think about you know running or whatever i can then motivate my body to do that right. and and if something's not physical how does it cause that you know mm-hmm. so so there were a bunch of those kind of objections to descartes theory which you know after a point it just got really convoluted and stuff like he had this thing where the soul is seated in the pineal gland and you know when you think it causes pressure on the pineal gland and causes this. it was like super weird <laughs> and and like one of his students straight up said yo if this is your explanation i'd rather be a materialist <laughs> <laughs> i so, think that's po- possibly the worst you could ever hear from your own yeah <laughs> So, so this was um this was uh, a response from uh, I think was she a countess anyway so she was a, she was or princess anyway Elizabeth of Bohemia basically responded to Descartes in this way saying like straight up in a letter like no joke no exaggeration these are the words she said if if I have to believe this theory then I feel I would rather be a materialist. Because his theory made so little sense. She's like, oh yeah, materialism just seems like a better alternative. At a time when materialism wasn't taken seriously because no one knew how things worked. <laughs> also, so, like, a uh, quick question. Like, uh, in, uh, around what time period was Descartes? Like, I uh, estimate like 500 years ago or so? Yeah, like 1700s. Okay. So, like, 300-ish years ago. Yeah. So, so that happened, right? Uh <laughs> And and so then most dualists kind of try and build on the core idea of um, of Descartes' um, philosophy, which is the mind and the physical are two different things. But that doesn't mean they have to be two different substances. Okay. Um, and this gets into other more minute fields, which is you know property dualism and so on and so forth. But that's, I think that's probably like like elucidating on all the minor or, or like all the sub schools is mm. probably something we can keep for a later episode but for now yeah the three big schools are 
materialism slash physicalism, panpsychism, and dualism. So and I, I still have like like a thing about dualism. So if the Cartesian form of like like the argument breaks down at the fact that the the body and the mind don't really have an interface to interact, mm-hmm. uh, and the new like the other more popular schools of thought think of it as uh, two entities of pretty much the same material, but like as two distinct entities. Um, so they don't bring material into the question right okay so so the way they do it is uh so again do they still describe a physical existence of the soul or or of the mind of of of, yeah you brought in soul earlier with the 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 pineal gland that's so Descartes uh, kind of put the soul and the mind as the same but uh, yeah, also, like, is there a physical existence of the mind or is it just the fact that our ability to think is the mind? Like, there's no real physical thing to it, but yeah, exactly. it is it's driven by our, our physical existence. Yeah, so property dualism is basically that, you know, there are mental properties which are completely different from physical properties, but they are instantiated by the physical. Okay. So that's one, that's like one school, right? And then there are other schools of dualism as well. Um, But again, that's like a whole other episode we can spend on just looking at sub-schools in in these philosophy of mind uh, things. But I I, was fascinated and couldn't help but think of like, you know, like the, the, the borderline entity between life and death that we talked about as similar (laughs) to like the borderline entity between the, the, the Descartes uh, physical body and like the the mind on a different uh, yeah no very much you're absolutely right you're absolutely right Um, I think that's kind of also a big motivation for philosophy of mind it's it's the idea of death right Mm -hmm. like it's it's such a motivating factor for the human race like there is no denying that death is literally the reason why we have a lot of the the beliefs that we do Um, yeah Things like, you know, crows are omens of death or crows are the, the souls of our ancestors reincarnated to watch over us and stuff. It all comes from a certain conception of death and a certain kind of proximity to it. Uh, so with and the crow thing, is that just something that we believe or is that like commonly believed in a lot of other places in the world I, as well? I, like, again, I don't want to speak for other cultures because I know we believe it. Yeah. I know it's like a thing in Hindu tradition that, you know, crows are the souls of our ancestors. But I think certain Native American tribes also have the belief, not necessarily crows, but that at their ancestors visit them in like animal form and specifically bird form. Yeah, and I vaguely have this idea of crows being associated with death somehow, even in the West. Like I just yeah, so they are omens of death because every time war happened, crows would descend on the battlefield. Ah, I see. And villages around would see the crows descend and be like, ah, death has happened in that place. So so they are omens of death. Um, mm. And in I think in Norse mythology, crows are like a sign of knowledge because Odin has two crows who kind of travel the world and tell him what's happening kind of thing. You know, like I, I do kind of agree with them. Like crows are weirdly intelligent. Like crows it's are almost incredibly like they, intelligent. Yeah, they they really are. Like I, mm. I, the way that I've seen them, like 
use like tools essentially to like get their work done like break open nuts or like pick up a spoon and like drop it on another object and just see if it can crack and it's kind of insane the sort of stuff that they pull so uh like just like to bridge this gap and then get on to talking about <laughs> crows a bit more right so the reason the reason philosophy of mind is so interesting is that as of late we started discovering that a lot of animals are way more intelligent that we, than we ever gave them credit for like a lot of people thought you know crows were clever scavengers but they are so much more than that crows have an incredibly sophisticated group structure they have hierarchies they have social bonds like there have been studies showing that um crows fall in love like actual love mm-hmm. and they mate for life kind of thing and when when a crow in like a murder dies mm-hmm. the entire like murder the entire group of crows they mourn the crow like they start oh, wow. decorating its body and so on and so forth like wow. there have been tons of observations by scientists showing this um and crows in city biomes and urban biomes they have like a distributed intelligence network dude they really do <laughs> <laughs> they actually do so like crows can kind of communicate with e- with each other and tell each other where the best places to get food to get loot are where to stay away from what is danger like they communicate with each other and tell each other all these things and yep. and this is just like one of many animals like yeah. octopi have been found to be incredibly intelligent and they yeah and to be fair like we've only observed crows like commonly because it's so common yeah. in urban environments like yeah. if we just if we had that close of an interaction with something like octopi i'm sure it'd be yeah. more commonly known so um octopi are incredibly smart and um they've evolved intelligence in a completely parallel way to mammals right because they're just a completely different tree in a uh, uh, completely different branch in the tree of life i i can uh, like i never really like like properly comprehended this until like i, I recently have started scuba diving yeah so and then uh like my first diving experience was just like surrounded by jellyfish and just like looking at jellyfish i mean obviously like they really aren't uh on the the top tier of intelligent beings but just like as fascinating creatures that they are and it's just like oh yeah this I mean, is pretty much like in terms of like evolution this is like one of the oldest types of beings that we mm. still have and they're just so different from anything else yeah i mean if you i mean invertebrate and sea life is like the most alien you can get i think it, it, without like really actually is. being extraterrestrial yeah. yeah but octopi are insanely intelligent um and you know like all the stories of dolphins human dolphins like helping humans and so on and so forth right mm-hmm. like you see tons of those stories of like dolphins helping sailors who've lost their way or oh, yeah. helping someone who's about to drown the reason they do that and i i don't know if this is like a recent discovery or if it's just something i came across recently and never thought about before but the reason they do that is because as mammals they also have an innate fear of drowning so they have like no they, way okay yeah yeah so they they understand what it is to like feel like the drowning so they oh. they kind of just have empathy and are able to help the sailors because of that and 
when you think about it it's like oh my god <laughs> how like when i read that i'm like how did that never like uh, how did i never think that that could be a thing yeah and it's just yeah. that we don't ascribe empathy that often to animals right right because it seems to be a very human state correct okay. and the, that's the the only animal that you might ever hear it being ascribed to is like a dog but but that's because of like the absolute close proximity exactly. to dogs that we have had for millennia at this point and the fact that dogs have evolved alongside humans to be incredibly social like mm-hmm. over social i'd say mm-hmm. like dogs are just incredibly social incredibly emotionally intelligent yeah because and they, with they pick, humans like the interaction between mm-hmm. dogs and humans and i mean i i'd say not even just humans right like it, it it's definitely more like cross species kind of um right openness like you see stories of dogs playing with like tigers and lions like there are videos of this online like i'm not even joking yeah yeah like literally just frolicking with it with a full grown tiger and the tiger <laughs> knows how to like like how to play with the dog and yeah. it, it 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 like you can see it hold back its strength when it's like you know rough housing a little bit yeah 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 and like cheetahs like cheetahs when they're growing up i think i've mentioned this before but like cheetahs have emotional support dogs when they're growing up <laughs> just so they get emotionally adjusted and don't feel like overly anxious and so on right yeah it's 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 amazing how you know as we study more um and as we learn more about like what life really is and you know like through a naturalistic lens sure mm-hmm. we we kind of like figure out how animals have empathy through observing their behavior and through like anecdotes and observations and it's just it's so fascinating to see how that impacts how we think about ourselves i mean yeah yeah because it 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 makes like like i feel like a common understanding until probably very recently is that humans are like a different grade from animals like obviously a lot of uh, indigenous thought has not been that way but like a lot, mm. lot of modern belief is in the, along those lines yeah and uh to understand the sort of intelligence and uh consciousness so to speak of other beings in the universe and then reevaluate our own like sense of ethics and understanding of like how we interact with them is really mm-hmm. really fascinating it it honestly is like and i don't even i i don't mean this in like a you know heal the world kind of thing but it's just understanding our place in nature understanding how our interactions affect the world both both through our intelligence as well as just through the fact that humans are like some of the most populous organisms on the planet and therefore have the power and the technology and again the intelligence to terraform the entire planet to their will yeah it's it's just fascinating and i think it plays a huge part in determining what our role really is mm-hmm. and like again just to add to this entire thing that i was talking about there has been a recent um thing where female elephants in the mozambique have started evolving without tusks because of poachers okay. so over the past 300 wow. years more more and more female elephants have just not had tusks as a way to deter That's poachers 
Whoa. And like, if that's not a the most profound kind of impact of, of like, if that's not the most profound description of the kind of impact a human can have or humans can have on an ecosystem yeah. on evolution then yeah. i really don't know what is wow okay yeah cuz like y- you've got to understand that evolution usually happens over like like literally hundreds of thousands and millions of years yeah it's not something that usually happens in 300 years like of course this is probably like on a very small scale but still like the fact that it can be done to any extent at all we've yeah. also gone through it a little bit in our episode on food like on how chicken are yeah. diff- like the, the chicken and cows bred for food are so are different, different from, from wild yeah like we have a significant impact on the ecosystem and also i know yeah. it's like it's sort of like derailing from the under- like from the discussion on consciousness and uh theology but like our understanding our relationship with the environment i, f- I feel like is in a way really difficult to uh separate from understanding ourselves no i absolutely agree i absolutely agree there's there's a certain sense of responsibility and a certain sense of like we we are given or i i won't say given per se but we have this um this immense curiosity and this immense knowledge and this immense power of intelligence to like form the world the way we see fit and at that point it we really should understand why you know why we have these faculties so we can responsibly use them and just you know not cause things like elephants having to evolve without one of their biggest evolutionary advantages which is their tusks mm-hmm. just because of poaching yeah you know it's it's like when you read stuff like this it really hits you like holy hell what is happening yes yeah, it's a bit of a somber note but like i think this is as good as a place as any to end on you know like just really thinking about what it means to be human what it means to have intelligence what it means to be conscious right these and what are the responsibilities that come with yeah. the ability to think of those things you know what i mean Yeah yeah yeah. But yeah, a bit of a somber note for once, but I think I think this is as good a place as any to end uh, this episode. So Yeah. I've been Pranav. I've been Arvin. Have a happy Diwali. And thanks for listening. Probably also I should add follow us on Twitter, Instagram @dumbdivepodcast. Yeah, and yeah. send us an email if you have feedback, questions, things that we got wrong or we should add on our future episodes dumbdive@gmail.com